Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome everybody to the outro for the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We got a little round table here going on. We got the Dilla back. Dilla, how are you? I'm good. We got uh, the ginger librarian with his new glasses. <laughs> Jacob, how are you? Doing well. Doing and well. we got the mustache of justice, JT Watkins. <laughs> Gentlemen. <laughs> All right, boys. Um, JT, you haven't been on here in a while. It's been a minute. Yeah. It's how long? A- I mean. Was it when y'all went down and hunted? A pl- it was, I don't think I was on that episode the last time JT was on. No, it's been probably a year or so. Year and a half, Man, at least. Because yeah, you, him, and someone else went hunting. It was like three of y'all. Was it Clay on that episode? Pot could have been. Where where we going? It might have been North Alabama. I wasn't there because I remember JT. JT stepped in. No, it may have been uh, when we went camping up at the lake. And yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Me and my buddy yeah. Adam. Uh, that's yep. where it was. That was yep. a long time. Long, that was year one. That was yeah, year it's one. Been a minute. Dang. Yeah, that was a long time ago. That was single digits episodes. Anyways, all right, Mister Tom Brownlee. Uh, talk to him about scent control, truth about scent. Got all the scent control folks riled up. Dude. <laughs> Jacob, yeah. I, you you know, the thing is, it wasn't even supposed to be that way. Like, I, I, to take it however you want to, but uh, it wasn't meant to be like, oh, talk down to people that use scent control. You do whatever yeah. makes you feel you have more confidence, do hey, it. Hey, I, I was telling Michael when we were talking earlier, uh, he gave more to the scent control crowd than I thought he would. Most of these scientific scent guys like really crap all over scent control, and I guess he kind of did a little bit, but he did say you could probably make them think you're further away than you are. Well, I'm pretty fresh because I just listened to it. So I think one thing that kind of helped is because he's a hunter. Mm-hmm. And he knows what he's seen himself. He's like, you know, I've seen people go in and cut limbs and kill deer. You know, like he's yeah. like, I've seen deer walk on the same trail I just walked in on and not, you know, pay a bit, you know, attention to it. So mm-hmm. I think that that helped out. 
Yeah, what's uh so Michael, me and you were talking earlier and you were talking about how part of it you think could be the deer's personality. I mean, do you want to kind of yeah, pick I mean, that apart a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, we've all seen it. I mean, one deer will, you know, hightail it on out of there and, you know, doesn't want anything to do with any kind of scent. And then one will walk right up, smell you the whole way, smell every limb, and then smell the tree. Um, I just think uh, they put up with a certain amounts of it. Um, I will say here on the recent hunt i remember i sent y'all a video of the deer the little buck mm-hmm. he's only like a little spike i think or fork horn i can't remember yeah but he came right up to the tree and he smelled me well after listening to this episode he smelled the disturbance um because i was i'd been up in that tree for a good little while so i don't guess he was smelling me which was a really interesting mm-hmm. thing yeah. that was brought up but anyways uh it wasn't until the wind kind of picked up and blew at him that he wigged out and then he still looped around because he didn't see me and so he's trying to figure it out so he looped back in and then calmed back down and got to eating again but as soon as that wind picked up and hit him again at the same spot he wigged out and and took off about 100 yards that time yeah kind of confirmed it for himself or something yep uh jacob what do you think was like the most interesting thing you got from this i mean ground disturbance i think uh that and also the idea that you know human scent kind of dissipating you know that scent dissipating after about roughly 10 minutes based off environmental factors i found was really interesting but also just the the ground disturbance and like the size of your boot how much more ground disturbance you will leave in the woods compared to a deer or any other animal walking through there, you're going to leave more ground disturbance uh, and brush up against things and breaking branches and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so I found that super, super interesting. That's kind of what they're keying in on. Um, and then also another thing that I found that was pretty interesting is roughly kind of how he was talking about, you know, in that time period with that scent being there, how far it will drift based off, you know, wind, uh, you know, roughly uh, 10 feet every one mile per hour. Uh, but also, again, how it'll settle in lower-lying areas, especially areas that are shaded compared to maybe out in the open sun, uh, especially if you're talking like a field or something like that. It made me think about this. Entrance guys, you know, we don't hunt ag, but if you were hunting ag and, you know, I've heard some guys like an afternoon, you know, wanting to walk directly in the middle of a field going to a tree line. Well, if they're 80 yards out in the middle of the field and they're walking down, you know, to their spot, um, you know, at some point, maybe some of that scent could possibly drift over to that tree line. Um, now again, it dissipate after a little while, so that's fine. Uh, but it just made me kind of think about, you know, when you walk in, you know, maybe that deer, you like, you hear, you see a deer blowing at you or you hear a deer blowing and you're like, okay, it's probably not, it doesn't seem like it's blowing at me, but possibly did your scent or whatever drift over into a way that you weren't previously expecting. So, so to that point, uh, you know, we talk a lot about transitions and that got me thinking when that was brought up, you know, I wonder how much of this is due to scent and the way scent is, I guess, carried through the woods. It, could they possibly be, and you know, not always may, maybe necessarily cover, but maybe there's an advantage as far as scent too by going to those areas. You know, he's talking about shade. Yeah. How it holds the scent. Like, could a deer go from one area to another based on the amount of scent, you know, I guess, in that area? Also something that comes to mind, just because you said that, Troy Pottinger, who we had on, uh, it's been a little while, um, but his master class, the, the first time we had him on the master class uh, for Mock Scrapes, um, him talking about these bucks, big, big mature bucks up in the Rocky Mountains, loving areas that have some shade. They don't like being areas that are super exposed sunlight. And, you know, he thought it was something about kind of the, you know, just that more dimness. They just feel more comfortable traveling in there. But I wonder if also they just have a better sensing um, advantage in those areas with less sunlight where, again, that sunlight's not penetrating all the way to the ground, is more dim, and that scent stays around there more so than an open hillside or open pines or open timber. Right. That was exactly my thought, and you just painted a better picture of it. So one thing I want to I want to get at here, especially right here at the very beginning, that uh, I want to hear what y'all think about it, but also think I want to clarify it is mm-hmm. we're talking about the scent dissipation, and one thing that struck a lot of people was the whole 
10 minute thing. So basically your skin cells that are falling off of you or your breath, that kind of thing stays for like 10 minutes. Um, what we probably should have clarified more is now does that include like the gasoline on your boots? Does that include any soaps you use? Does that include this or that? Because like there's some people commenting on the Facebook post and they're like, uh, you know, thinking more of like that, like for instance, like the inner digital on a deer, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, yep. that probably lasts longer than ten minutes. Like that waxy substance. Yeah, my thought was when you mentioned mm-hmm. gasoline, is this like basically oil based? So you'd think like an oil would stick around a little bit longer. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that and like it was, it was Shane Simpson. Yeah, no, I saw. Yeah, and he and he was talking about his tracking dog, and uh, maybe we didn't do a good enough job of like clarifying that, but. I think what he was saying is like a tracking dog, when they're tracking that wounded deer, if they're not tracking off blood, they're tracking off other things like that interdigital scent Mm -hmm. in the hoof, which if you stick a knife in it and get some of it, it's like a waxy substance. And I think that's what the dog is tracking when there's no blood trail and it's tracking off foot scent, ground scent, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. With the 10 minute dissipation thing where the bacteria eats your scent, that's going to be your skin cells and your breath, as I understood it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it doesn't apply to other stuff. Yeah, we, did, we did yeah, 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 we should have clarified. We absolutely because I, I thought about that. We're hereby clarifying. Yeah, we should have clarified that with him because there are questions like that, and also goes to this: the aspect of search and rescue dogs. If they're doing search and rescue in, in urban environments and they're on pavement, what is that? Is there is there still ground disturbance? What does that look like when you're on pavement compared to out in the woods? And because I know uh, that woman, I can't remember her name. Anyways, Melissa, I think that was at that dog training event yep. from the Gundog Yourself podcast. Um, she was talking about they were doing tracks like on pavement that were like four or five hours old, mm-hmm. and like looking for like lost people. And JT might talk to this too, you know, being police. Um, but you know, it's not. It, it, it can't be truly just ground disturbance. There's got to be something else that's being left there, but maybe it is. I don't have no idea on pavement. I'm very curious on that, but there's got to be other things that the dog is picking up on. Also, what makes your ground disturbance any different from another person's ground disturbance? If they're keying in on a specific person, I'm talking more search and rescue now. Okay. Yeah. 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 But it could probably be the same thing when it comes to deer, like what's keying in. It can't be just the ground disturbance. Now he did talk about the epinephrine, uh, that deer releases, or just a wounded animal releases when it's wounded and scared. Um, but and also, I, sh- I had a question that I should have asked. I mean, you know, we were trying to get him on for this outro. He he didn't get back in touch with me uh, to come back on for the outro because one question I had is if somebody is running from the law and they're scared out of their mind and they're releasing all this epinephrine, if it makes it easier for a dog to track them, a canine to track them, versus somebody just like oh, I don't care. I mean, if you just went out there with a you know lax stasel. Like, yeah. does, does that make a difference? It does. It ah, does. JT. So the, the dogs can pick up on, they'll pick up on ground scent and they also pick up on the disturbance. So when they're releasing the adrenaline and the, the sweat and all that other stuff, they'll key in on that. Um, that's why a lot of times if we have somebody run, the canine handler hopes we didn't go in there. They don't want us anywhere near it. They, you know, we can give an idea like, oh, it went, he went that way or she went that way. But they don't want us. If we go walk around in there, it it trashes it because it puts too much scent and too much disturbance. So they'll pick up on both in that in that sense. Because you guys like chasing the dude or whatever. Y'all are like y'all have the same adrenaline kind of thing going on as the guy that who's, who's running from you. There's that, and there's also just the you don't know how many other houses you went in for other calls or how many other things you've stepped in. Mm. Now you've introduced a whole different world of of sense to that same track. Yeah. that that dog's already picked up on. That That's interesting. There's another guy on GDIY. Uh, it was one of the episodes right there around where Nick interviewed Tom. Mm-hmm. I think it was like the next one. It was the guy who uses a DK for search, search and rescue. rescue. Mm. And he was talking about sending a dude, like for training their dogs, they send a dude into a mall, like a crowded mall, for like two hours. And then the dog tracks them, like through all those people, through all that disturbance. Oh, we should have asked about that. Dang well, it. Well, so that's, I'm yeah. just, again, to bring it up, that that whole, your scent hanging in the air for two hours isn't the only thing that they key in on. Um, maybe focus a little bit too hard on it. Well, um, I'll say this. We're going to get Tom. I've already talked to Tom about this. We're going to have him back on in the off season because I want to do a very in-depth di- dive on canine 
uh, and the research they've done when it comes to canines. Um, and he just, there's a lot more information there than just what we even briefed on on the episode. And I definitely want to get more into the, like, the search and rescue aspect because I find that super interesting when you're trying to find a specific person that's been gone for ever how long. I, again, I find that super, super fascinating. Um, just, again, how that kind of works and in, in, in those details. So, But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions we should have asked that we didn't ask. You only hey, got so much. Time. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Hindsight is twenty twenty. When we left, I had a question that came to mind. I can't remember it right now, but when we left after doing the episode, I'm like, crap, we should have asked him about whatever it was. I should have asked him about X, Y, Z. And that happens with every guest. Every guest you talk to, you're like, you kind of go in. And the thing is, a lot of the questions that we have, we have some topics written down, but we don't have specific questions always written down. Like we don't have like a cheat sheet here where we get 25 questions. We rarely have questions written down. Yeah, most of them it's like a topic. And then as the conversation goes, you're like, you're constantly thinking about, okay, but what about this and that and in the different topics? I'll say this. One thing that he brought up that I found super fascinating was the aspect of heat being a negative factor for, for sending conditions but how humidity is, and it's like a draw. So like early season down here in the Southeast, you know, it's hot as hell, but you also have super high humidity. I mean, there's days, I mean, there was, the, when I hunted, it was Saturday, we had a little bit of rain. It was 90% humidity the whole day. Okay. Yep. And I'm like, you know, hunting like with a t-shirt and a rain jacket. I mean, it didn't rain uh, really that much, but um, it's just one of those things like, okay, so that's great for sitting conditions, but like the warm air isn't good for sitting. Now, one question I had, and I want to ask him about this, and I want to bring it to you guys. Is temperature a like a sliding bar, as in like it progressively gets worse and better, or is it just general? Like, you know, is 70 degrees going to be better generally than 40 degrees, or is there a certain threshold at a certain temperature the sitting conditions is that much greater than something previously. So at forty mm. at fifty degrees, it jumps up considerably compared to forty five degrees, or is it just slightly better incrementally? Inc- Help me with that. Incrementally. There you go. Look at you. <laughs> I about died when he said screech. What? Screech. Screech. During the during the thing, you're like vortex screech. <laughs> Almost. Oh, no. Well, I meant I meant to say street or. Uh, 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 <laughs> streak, yeah, streak. But you, you, you had to think you about stay. it. He yeah. said, "Screak, <laughs> Hey, hey, screak slides, whatever they call it out west. You know, all the rocks, but anyways. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. All right, well, that was hilarious. I almost cut that out, but I was like, no, I'm leaving this in there. You left a lot of stuff in. I was like, dang, he left a lot of this stuff in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, mean, I can't talk. Hey, that's what. That's one reason I've had to maintain editing control for this long because I can cut out all the stuff that makes me sound like a wiener. I can leave it <laughs> in when it's just- <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, but um, again, I was just super interested about that. Like, is there a certain temperature? Like, it's 45 degrees, you know, around here, worse any conditions than 35. Yeah. Like, is, is there, like, is there anything that's been tested on that? Um, or is it just, you know, the hotter it is, the, the worse sending conditions are? And is there a certain threshold? Like, does it have to be 80 degrees plus? Yeah. That, that's terrible sending conditions. You know, it's 55 degrees. Anyways, I, I'm super interested about that kind of stuff, which is way in the weeds. Uh, I'm looking at y'all. Y'all look lost. So, well, um, no, I think know. that's a good thing for uh, us and the listeners to ponder until we until we get Tom back on this summer. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of – a lot of thoughts run through my head when when all of that conversation was going on because uh you know coming from alabama and then going to missouri and iowa um later in the season you know it was a lot colder up there uh, a lot drier conditions and um i guess the way you know me and clay and nick were hunting was kind of a lot like how we'd hunt down here we actually hunted off the ground i think i don't i don't I don't think I ever climbed a tree while I was out there, maybe once, but it got me thinking the winds were whipping out there the whole entire time in Iowa. I mean, they were everywhere and, you know, blowing 15 to 30 miles an hour typically. And it it got me thinking, would I have been better off up in a tree where that dissipation kind of, you know, happens versus on the ground where... You know, it's kind of one level because you think that that sense carried a long, a long ways as fast, you know, as the wind was moving. It's only got that yeah. one direction. If I would have been up higher, would I have gotten away with more, which we really didn't have a problem with getting busted. But, you know, coming from down here, like you feel like you're just going to 
get blown at like a deer goes down <laughs> wind you're gonna get blown at we didn't we didn't have that issue it didn't seem like um while we were up there yeah so i, I noticed that too when i was in missouri um i sat in one spot and i was not that high off the ground probably 12 15 feet but there was a holler on just across the logging road from me and a buck cruised the top of it and he was straight downwind from me and it wasn't until he got up the ridge a little bit that he started picking up my scent. So I think like what you're saying, because of the terrain, it just, it stayed over the top of him until he got to about eye level up the ridge from it before it started hitting him. Right. Yeah. Um, Missouri, I don't know if y'all dealt with this, but both times I went to Missouri. So I went back and hunted like a day and a half. Um, Missouri had horrible winds. <laughs> like it, it went back and forth all that time. I meant to hit the mark button and hit the freaking stop. Button. You rookie. What are you marking for? Uh, there you it, go. His cough, because okay. if we're trying to cough, you know, uh, cut it. So, anyways, um, I'm, I'm totally leaving that in. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate <laughs> yeah, get, it. Hand me one of them. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Sir. Limited edition. It matches I'll take uh, Mike's too. camera. Yeah, I'll take another one. Right, hold, oh, on. Right, just, hold on. Hold on. We'll crack them at the same time. Uh, hold on, hold on. Three, two, one. That'll do. Oh, mm. I got beer on the microphone. That's Good beautiful. Job. Beautiful. That's why it's slobber proof. <laughs> so, anyways, I was, uh, you know, really thinking about that, like, because down here we, you know, we focus so much on thermals, um, and wind isn't as big of a factor, just because it, we don't have the winds like they do mm-hmm. out there. But then at the same time, we've got the humidity aspect, so like your scent is much stronger. So there's give and take, like with both places going north and south like your wind is carried a lot farther um but is it you know is it dispersed a lot more broadly to where your scent isn't as strong plus it's cold like you i don't know i guess i would have to be in those scenarios hunt those different places for like an extended amount of time before i could yeah come up with an opinion i I feel like out here i either I, I feel like I get away with a lot with the wind just because of the topography and thermals and this and that. I just feel like a lot of times I get deer in spots where five, six years ago, I'd have been like, he was right downwind to me. And maybe he was right downwind, but this like I know enough now about thermals where the stuff between me and him or obstructions, thermals, wind currents, where my wind's just diverting around him. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that being said, it's like when I get busted, I get busted. It's like they hit it, and it is, yeah. Like they no know doubt. what's up. There's no, there's no doubt what they know exactly what they just hit, and there's yeah. no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah, our deer down here like to, they like to blow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Turn they're not out. they're not like those northern deer. Like those northern deer are quiet. Like even if they spot you, they're gonna they might hang around. You know, they're just gonna like they're more at ease. Like they just kind of carry along with what they're doing. These deer down here, they want everybody and their mama to know exactly what's going on, where you're at. I mean, they're just like even the bucks, man. They go crazy. We used to, for some reason, we always used to think that like if bucks it, never blew. Yeah, if if it blows at you, oh, it's it just dumb? some doe. Yep, that's not true. No, <laughs> no, that's not. no, I've had bucks blow too, and you're like, I killed the buck that blew at me last year. Yep, that's exactly what happened. He blew, and I heard him bound off, and he blew four times, and the most like pitiful little blow you've ever heard i'm like oh this is some year and a half year old doe and then he pops out and i see like this wide frame i was like shoot her, shoot her. <laughs> <laughs> but i've noticed what you're talking about up in michigan too like i had a doe this year i was up there hunting over thanksgiving break and she picked me in the tree like straight up pinned me there was four of them that came together she pinned me but she kept circling like she'd circle the little group of pines in front of me and come right back and look right back up at me mm. but it's like they they just kind of nonchalantly pick you they don't pick you and hammer it they yeah. just That's oh crazy. i know you're there yeah right. but i you know i'm not gonna get close enough i know like, you're what there you're gonna do shoot me <laughs> yeah i was going to actually <laughs> i was about to because she picked me off Dude, listen i got i got a question this this is me kind of poking fun at people that live up there this this some fun here maybe it's because you know some of those places they're kind of maybe limited on how many does they can kill down here you can kill like a doe a day so those does know what's up yeah like listen you get too close now Dude, when i was a kid you could kill two does a day Hey, I will say this. If they're doing those uh, deer drives, dude, them jokers are blasting anything that freaking runs. They don't care what it is. No, no. Up in Iowa? Yeah. 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 
Yeah, they get after it, don't they? Mike, yeah. Mike, yeah. They're like, they don't care how much their shells cost. They're shooting. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to that uh, trip on a, on an outro because I've got a lot to say about it. So, the mm-hmm. Iowa? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, uh, the back to this, I want to talk a little bit more about the scent dispersion. Um, when he talked about like there, there being an advantage of getting high and elevated where your scent can just cast out and like the stronger the winds or whatever, the better off it's going to dissipate, which I found super interesting. I, I was thinking like high winds, it's just going to carry that scent farther. And then you're going to have deer blowing at you from 300 yards away. But that's not really the case from what he's talking about. It's more like when that scent finally spreads out, it gets to a low, a low enough um, concentration that it's just, it's unreadable in, in some cases. Uh, and I find that very, very, very interesting because it kind of goes back to like the old school way of hunting down here in the Southeast where we talked to a lot of guys that, you know, have been doing it for 30, 40 years. Like well, I'll give you an example, West Moe, I've been hunting with the last two or three days uh, on a piece of public where I killed a buck last week, which we'll talk about on the year ender. Year ender. Coming next, up Monday. On Monday's episode, we'll talk about it. Um, but dude, he's climb. You know, you said you have some guys like, oh yeah, I climbed 35, 40 feet up, and they really don't climb that high. He climbs so high, he don't have a pull up rope. Okay, oh yeah, he's not carrying 40, 50 feet of I line. I did that the other day. He, he's literally climbing <laughs> like a ninety foot pine tree till he hits branches at 55, 60 feet in some of these spots. Like, and, and some guys are like, oh, I don't believe him. he's adjusting the platform as he's going up. Okay, mm-hmm. and he told me the tree to go to. He's like, climb to that first limb, and I'm like, dude. I've never climbed that tr- high in a tree, period. <laughs> you start getting up there and you start looking down and dude, you're like, Whew. Dude, you're getting wheezy. Bro. Like this, listen, I'm not that big on like, height. Like, heights don't really bother me that too bad. But, dude, I'm getting up there. I'm like, I'm like whoa. I, that's like, what I did the other day, man. I, I put my gun in my on my meat shelf so I, so I didn't have to worry about it. Oh, that's smart. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, oh, it works I did, great. I, I didn't think about that. It works great if you have a striker. But, you know. Hey, out there in Iowa, um, I was coming down through this little uh, thermal hub. And I'll look over. And I'm like, oh my God. Somebody took a Walmart lock on. I mean, it's a dinky little lock on. It had to be every bit of 35 or 40 foot. Oh my God. I was getting queasy just thinking about <laughs> trusting, putting my life on that little lock on <laughs> way up there. I mean, he was way up there. And it was because in this little thermal hub you had all these little ridges coming down so the deer were going to be at eye level at one point when they were pretty close to you right. he was i mean like nosebleed i was like i found one like that i was like he's got he's got to be climbing like towers for a living or something because the, the one you and me did, did we walk in together that one over there where uh, i couldn't remember where, if it was me and you or me or zach that found i think it. y'all you and zach found it, and then i went in there maybe by myself and i found it this this fella had a tree i mean it was every bit that high and he had the spikes he drilled and put spikes in the tree for climbing and he took out the bottom six or so yeah which you're not supposed to do in public no but, but he was he was so far dude, up there he was so far he up. had a pole saw up there and he had cut shooting lines through the canopy yeah he wasn't cutting stuff on the ground and he took limbs and he affixed them to the to bottom the, of the platform yes it looked like, like it looked, it like looked it, great dude it looked like an eagle's nest i'll be honest you looked up at it like dude that looks awesome I'm like, man, i bet he's killed some deer right he's right. in the perfect spot oh my that's God. like where me and you scouted a few weeks ago where on the edge of that cutover where we, mm. to, i mean to shoot out into the cutover you were gonna have to get 30 plus here's feet the, here's the yeah. picture can you can you spot it yeah check that out <laughs> oh yeah, that dude, that dude is up there, man. Hey, man, that's a uh, yeah. Every, every we got a, we got some messages like, you guys gonna interview John Eberhart now? About, oh yeah, about did you get a message? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the guy. Uh, and I'm yeah. like, no, probably not. No. I, I mean, I already. But that's know what, what Eberhart does. He climbs <clears throat> super high, super yeah, high, way up there. But he also presets trees too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I mean, he preset. So yeah, I, I don't want to get into the Eberhart e- stuff. It's a can <laughs> no. of worms. Yeah, bro. Eberhart. I mean, he he does the same. It's it's the same response every single podcast. So I don't I don't know why we would rehash yeah. it because anybody who's listened to one before, yeah, and he's been on a bunch of. I mean, I've talked to, I've, I've I've talked to him on the phone, got on phone calls with him about like potentially doing episodes, and I'm just like, you know, there's just not enough there that other people haven't covered. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the same yeah. thing with like Dan Infault. Like I had guys like, oh man, have y'all interviewed Dan? I'm like, no, I, I had an idea for everybody an ep- else and their grandma has. Yeah, yeah, he's been on a ton of shows, and I'm like I had an idea for an episode that hasn't been done before with him. But I'm like, I don't know how well it's going to work out. Like, it's, it's a top, it has not been covered with them. I guarantee it. I've, I've done some research. I, I remember and, trying to put this together and, and it was, couldn't get it. Yeah. It, well, no, we, we could we could do it. Like, even Dan said he's game, but it's like, I just don't know how well it's going to be. I don't know how well it's going to go. And I don't know how well it's going to be received. 
I think so. it'd be received fantastic. I don't know how well it would go. Yeah, I don't know how well it would go. I don't want people arguing on that. No, no. Yeah. But, but it, again, it's a topic that hasn't been discussed before, and I think it'd be really interesting to have that conversation. Um, maybe, hey, maybe this coming year. All right, well, hey, let's get back to this well, episode. That's what August is for. I know. Let's get back to, let's get back to Tom, or Tom Brownlee. Um, but... The scent dispersion, I find this super fascinating. Okay. Also, one thing he talked about, which Andrew, actually, you made the comment. I was fairly impressed, my man. Oh, yeah. I, just, I smoked you on this podcast. Let's just admit it. <laughs> there was a couple times I looked over at Andrew and he's like, I don't, I don't know anything else. Hey, y'all did really, <laughs> y'all did really good because <laughs> most episodes, I'm like, I'm, I'm tapped out. He gets like three questions and he's like, I'm done. I'm yeah. like, dude, that's, we're only 14 minutes and do it. I've yeah. only got so much capacity in my brain. Yeah. Y'all did really good because I was worried y'all weren't going to ask the questions I wanted you know brought up but about halfway through y'all started popping them off left and right yeah, so it started getting juicy about yeah. 45 minutes into it yeah. yeah i was like yeah i was i was like hopefully guys made this far into the episode you know and they didn't stop listening because there's a lot of good stuff here um but so okay scent dispersion one thing he talked about also as well is that idea of like having your scent blowing through some super thick cover that would also kind of break up you know the, the concentration which i found interesting i don't know how applicable that would be because the thing is there's no test that's been done that I'm aware of, and he, I don't think he was aware of either, where they tested what is that threshold that a deer can smell that's going to alert a deer. And I'm sure every deer is different. I'm sure, like, we, like yeah. from one deer to another deer, it completely, like, their threshold of what wigs them out, human scent-wise, is completely different. But that thick cover, it'd be very interesting to see, you know, 50 yards blowing through, like, a pine thicket, like a five-year-old pine thicket, versus 50 yards in an open field what's the concentration of that scent molecules at that 50 yard mark in both situations? One thing that me and Michael years ago in Georgia kind of, we both noticed that there's big giant field, big dove field, and it had patches of trees in it, like patches of trees and like thick underbrush. Michael was in the field in one of those patches. I was on the edge of the field in some thick cover hunting off of the ground. And if you went out to the field and you dropped uh, some milkweed, it would, it would be going like a pretty good rate of speed. Like it would unobstructed just float right across. But if you, um, if you went and sat in that cover and you drop milkweed, it would just fall straight to the ground. And what we thought is like, Hey, that, that wind or those thermals are hitting that cover and it just can't float freely through it. It's having to go around it. It's that stuff slowing it down. Um, and so I don't think that your scent travels as far in that stuff as it would if you're just in a wide open field. Yeah, uh, in the wide open field it was heated up. You know, it, was, it didn't have any shade and so it was a, there was a lot of lift and there was, you know, lift from that, thermals. Yeah. There's a cliff, yeah. I'm sorry. And then back in the back in the edge over there, like on the transition they had slight cut and the, it would still travel but not as far and then once I got into the complete shade it was just falling to the ground. Yep. Which again makes more sense if if a buck was going to be cruising if he's cruising in that shaded area and coming through a shaded area like that, he's catching kind of all that settling scent, which is some stuff that we've kind of talked about anyways. That's like the whole idea of like a thermal hub, especially like in the evenings, is all that scent settling down to that one spot or like that that bowl. Mm-hmm. And he's going through, he can check everything and he can figure out, you know, okay, I smell something. Now, which ridge did it come off of? And kind of go from there. Yep. Um, and that, again, it's, it's kind of interesting, but also kind of makes you think about, you know, mornings, that rise, that uplift thermal Again, you know, okay, deer's running potentially top side of the ridge, but, you know, what kind of advantage is he having up there based off the other kind of conditions that are happening? Um, Because there's a lot more, the ground disturbance is something that really kind of fascinated me with like how long ground disturbance can last, which open changes the game. This is something I want to bring up of mock scrapes and when you might want to start opening up mock scrapes. I know a lot of guys talking about opening up mock scrapes in, in like early season, okay? Like, you know, just about open them up in February. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah, like early part of the year. <coughs> well, it almost makes to me, just kind of looking at from this aspect, kind of now knowing about the the uh, VOCs um, and, you know, the bacteria and everything, you know, and how long the scent can stay there. It potentially. Makes me, potentially. Makes me freaking want to go open up mock scrapes in like September in some of these places or October you know, having them already kind of open there, that's going to kind of last through getting all the way up to, into that pre-rut time frame. Where they uh, can really smell that disturbed vegetation. Ab- absolutely. Well, I think what you do is you set them up, get them established early, and then you go and freshen them up with a rake or something. As well, also, if need be. Me and you've got the perfect way to test this because me and you opened that one up, what, a month and a half ago? Yeah. Where we set that one up in that thicket. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's perfect. And there's a camera on it, so it's perfect. 
be able to see the yeah, difference. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we made quite a disturbance. In Without even thinking about it, we did that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I don't know. I oh. could see it go either way. I mean, when but when you think about what Greg Skufka said with yeah. the licking branch thing, if it's more of the licking branch, that I would maybe establish the licking branches. Ahead like, of time. After season. We're talking about doing a lot of after season stuff this year. Go in there, establish those licking branches, and then kind of monitor them through the summer. And then if, I don't know, maybe if nothing's using them or if you want to make it bigger or something, go in there and like really disturb it in that kind of late summer time frame possibly. So about the licking branch, and you brought that up. Um, I think you kind of got the story a little bit uh, mm-hmm. not quite right. So when I went and set up the mock scrape, I went and put the scent, the the – Buck fever, buck fever synthetic mm-hmm. scent on one limb, but what he did is he went across the trail and he put his scent on a vine. That's what the buck did. The buck did, mm. and the reason why, which we learned in Greg Skufka's, is I think it was his at least. They need they they have like their own little limb or whatever that they same place buck the scent hits on. the same limb right the time. So mm. he saw that I hit that one, so he went across and he put his right next to it because there wasn't like another limb there for him to put oh. his sin on. Hey, so that was the reason why. So that just on that whole idea of like the licking branch things, which I'm about to look at that episode so people can go back and listen to it. That big um, community scrape I found that we talked about in an outro maybe like a week or two ago, um, that had the, like the deer run in on me while I was messing with some mm-hmm. other branches. I was trying to bend, not break, because I wanted the tree to live to give them more options. Cause they only had, he only had like one big branch come out. It had multiple small little, um, you know, branches coming out, but I want to give them more options, kind of pull it down for that one reason. Again, give them more options in that spot. So, uh, yeah, that's I'm, a good point. I'm trying to find that episode that we did with Greg Skufka. Um, Oh, episode two eighty six. Licking Branch Magic with Greg <laughs> Skufka. Very good episode. Uh, you know, definitely something to talk about some of the stuff that we'll talk about in a future episode about some of the postseason things that we're going to work on. Uh, definitely something that we'll really kind of focus on targeting. Um, yeah, we got a lot of off-season plans this year. Yeah, which we, we, we may hash out a little bit later. But um, also a little bit more of the ground disturbance stuff. Um, the idea of, okay, hey, you know, it seems like that human odor is only going to be around for about 10 minutes or so with you walking in kind of gives me a little bit more confidence kind of going into the spots like, Hey, mm-hmm. if I can slip in, I, I, I'm not so worried now about my Rushing scent. against stuff. Yeah. Well, my scent really blowing in an area. Also it changes the game. I think as well, if you're hunting a spot with a little bit of swirling winds and every, every little while your scent blows a certain direction for just a little bit, and it stops. It gives me more confidence. Sit still. Oh, Oh, that's a good point, dude. That like that time down in South Alabama, like the time I love to sight so much is where my wind would like be blowing up into this thicket all day. Like it's blown straight up the straw that goes to the bedding all day. And I'm just sitting there like, Well, this sucks. But I was so far back in there and I'd already seen a buck come out of there that I passed and I was like, Well, I'm just gonna sit here anyways. Looking back now what I kinda think is I think my wind probably blew into that thicket and probably i don't think it made it like 400 yards up in there because it's so oh, thick no. yeah yeah no and it's shady i think it it was stopping on the edge and then it got it got to be close to dark wind stopped everything settled down 10 minutes that since gone and they just start pouring out of there that's, one after another that's dude i thought about this while i realized into the episode today or yesterday i'm like that changes the game now on swirling winds yeah. especially like okay you're hunting next to a thicket and every now and then your wind blows into it doesn't mean the hunt's over like by no means especially if it's a light breeze unless you're betting where you know there's deer bedded within like 50 yards of you yeah i'm not too i'm not i'm now not that worried i'll be honest like it's not gonna like it's not gonna yeah. throw me off like it was before like crap dude like this is a crap well, it makes shoot. more sense now because in that spot i was i was thinking like <laughs> this deer has been smelling me or this all those deer that came out of there like they've been smelling me for three and a half four hours and now they're coming out. Like, why are they coming out? Just because they stopped and they're like, oh, he's gone. I think I think they never smelled me, even though my scent was blowing right in there for hours. When you think turkey calls, 
Think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB Hen, some days I might like the Ghost Cut. Some situations I might like the Country Girl Call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation. And hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. You know, I've mentioned before that I've never, you don't usually get blown at by deer during the daytime. Like you're you know, you could be sitting in the spot, you know, know that there's deer in a certain area, not get blown at. But then as soon as you get those fallen thermals in the evening, it seems like you're always getting busted, you know, at mm-hmm. last light. And, you know, that's probably why, just because, just like, you know, I'd mentioned before, like it, it, the scent's more condensed and a lot stronger, you know, with those fallen thermals versus, you know, that warm thermal updraft you know during the day it probably just disperses a lot a lot more yeah no I, I i think that's exactly right i think what you're talking about too like the other day when i saw that buck where i was sitting my wind was blowing into that pine thicket 90 percent of my hunt it wasn't until right there at last light that the wind kind of just died down mm-hmm. and then he cruised right there on that edge so my like you're saying you think they never smelled you he probably never smelled me because he was just deep enough in the thicket and it just hit the thicket and went up or stayed right there. And then after the wind died, he cruised right on that edge. I mean, he wasn't 25 yards from me. Mm. There's no way if he smelled me for two and a half, three hours, he would have cruised 25 yards from me if he'd have smelled me for that long. There's no way. Yeah. Right. It makes you want to think now if he knew it was like light and variable days to push the envelope a little bit compared to maybe what you would do beforehand and get right in there on that edge. And set, especially talking to evening hunt now, that like you're setting up for like that deer to come out of that edge that last 15 20 minutes of light and it's not that big of a deal what's happening two mm-hmm. hours before when you're setting up like if it's light and variable it's blowing you know it's blowing five you know three four miles an hour and it's only getting up in there 50 60 yards it's yeah. it's not that big of a difference because what really matters is that last little part of legal light especially when you know everything aligns with you know lunar and that time that feeding period that michael i've been paying attention to that a lot lately i've really noticed some of these big bucks getting killed in that time period uh, and how it's shit been shifting the last week and a half i've been really looking at it and like hearing shots when we were hunting place where i shot my buck right when that freaking feed period that that major two-hour window came up dude freaking shots were ringing okay yeah. and it stopped and like anyways. and it, I got to make this point because I saw somebody on Facebook the other day and they're, you know, basically dogging the whole moon phase thing. Um, there's the difference to moon phase, moon times, um, you know, being your overhead and underfoot. You can kind of lump some of these times into certain phases, but you got to keep in mind that weather will always trump those moon phases. And we experienced that up there in Iowa. As soon as mm-hmm. we got that cold front with the snow that came through, deer were everywhere. I mean, they came out of the woodworks into those fields. I mean, I saw more deer in one afternoon than I will see in my entire season down here in Alabama in one afternoon. I noticed that in Michigan, too, because when I was up there over Thanksgiving, it snowed the day that I shot uh, the doe up there. It started snowing. It snowed four inches. But when the snow started falling... All of our cell cameras lit up. Everything lit up. They got up and they started moving around. They said, okay, well, we don't know if the food's going to get covered. And I think that's part of it up there because I know that I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about how once the ice hits, Mm -hmm. some of that food won't make it through. So then they, I don't know if they get a, some kind of sense where it's like, okay, we need to go pack it on because it may get covered. So I think snow may have something to do with that. Yeah. Before before we get sidetracked on that, I gotta say when it comes to the scent thing, on on the thickets and all that, and your scent making it into that thicket, it's definitely like I don't want somebody on here to hear that that's gonna work every time just like that because if you've got a thicket that's like 
a newer cutover and you've got some pine trees in it and a bunch of sage grass, I don't, I don't think this will work as well. Because it, it my my school of thought, I'd be curious what y'all think. If it's like sage and grass and stuff like that, I feel like your scent is going to carry right across the top of that a lot better because it's going to get a lot warmer. On the next cold bluebird day you get, go lay in some sage grass in a field or in a cutover, and it's like warm. It's like laying in a bed. And so I think that your scent is going to hit that, and it's going to hover right over top of that because it's so cold, I don't think the thermals are going to send it 50 feet in the air. I think it's going to hover like right there at where you're going to get busted. Well, if you think about what you're saying, <clears throat> some of these thickets are different. You ha- you have the ones that basically, uh, you know, you have sunlight reaching the ground like you do in the sage because that sage is not going to be growing unless it's getting sunlight. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be as thick as some of these pine thickets, especially, you know, these younger ones that haven't had, ch- you know, time to, you know, choke out some of the other ones. So, yeah. I mean, some of these thickets that we're talking about, uh, lots of pine trees, lots of shade, lots of briars, lots of uh, other small saplings, goldenrod and stuff, uh, other like woody weeds like that that are going to, I don't know, make it hard to walk through. You know, if it's just grass, it's not that hard to walk through. So that that is something I'd like to clarify because all the times I've had that work for me is it's been in spots like that. So I don't think it could work every time, but it does give me a new perspective of, hey, if I've got a wind let's say like sub eight miles an hour going this way and it's the wrong wind direction, but the day it's like the right day to hunt that spot. Well, why not go in there? I mean, he's probably not coming out till dark anyways, depending on the situation. So I'd be curious to know, uh, just how, how the wind is affected in some of these, uh, like 20 year old pines that are, mm-hmm. that have like a gap between the, the ground and the canopy of like, say 20, 20 foot or something like that yeah, yeah and like is there like a tunnel effect where that wind is actually carried through it or or not yeah that's a excellent excellent so jacob right now is pulling up the uh the vortex street street <laughs> <laughs> vortex street um we, we video po- yeah we uh i actually posted the video on uh, the instagram and facebook page so you can go check it out it's pretty fascinating so it's got, it's got like the point of it's, it'd be like if, if you were that circle which is like a blue dot okay and that wind was coming you can see how that the, the your scent molecules are going to be kind of in that vortex kind of rotating back and forth it's really really fascinating yeah, yeah. i mean and it, it, it is like a true scent cone i mean it is a scent cone it's and, exactly what it yeah, is yeah because some people are like okay well how does your scent like disperse so just kind of like fans out like a 30 degree you know wedge bike behind you well, it really depends on, you know, this right here. And again, like what's the wind velocity and everything else of like how wide the bands go back and forth in this vortex behind you. Mm-hmm. And also it makes me think this, if you're a big old, you know, thick boy like me and, you know, some other guys, <laughs> I feel like your vortex, you know, of the, for the scent cone is going to be larger because you're a larger mass. The wind's hitting and going around and compared to say like Michael Pike or really like Clay, like Clay Collie is going to be on here for the uh, Monday's oh, yeah. episode. Old boy's like a fence post. Yeah. And like, if you're, if you're a little bit more aerodynamic, you know, this is getting like really <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. Too much spaghetti. Yeah. Listen, listen. Yeah. As Kevin Murphy would too, say. Too much summer sausage, you know. Um, you know, it's something that's, you know, super, super interesting. But, uh, yeah, dude, it's just, it's something <laughs> kind of crazy on that aspect of, you know, kind of what's all going down. But, uh, see, I think on your, your topic of the wind speed and thermals and stuff like that, I think that there, which I don't know how much data there is to prove it, but I think there's probably a threshold where, like, if the wind's at this amount, it's going to overtake whatever thermal there is. Yeah. But I think there is a there's a, a sweet spot somewhere that's like, okay, well, the wind's going to take it once it hits a certain level, but the thermal's going to take it to that level. Mm. So I, I wonder, yeah. especially down here with some of the bottoms that we have in the terrain that we have, I wonder if there is a, a is truly a sweet spot where it's like, if the wind's at just say ten, okay, well the thermal's gonna pull it because the wind's higher, but once it hits that wind, it's gone and you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about it. And I wonder if that's a thing. Yeah. Well, out there in Iowa, what what we realized was uh there was almost no thermals. Like almost none, non existent, because the wind speed was <clears throat> so fast all day long. Like mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. Like even at even in the afternoon, you were still you you were still well above you know ten miles an hour. Like you that's like a high wind day down yeah, here. Yeah, you didn't have to worry about the falling thermals or rising thermals. Like your scent, 
and and the thing about it was was where we were hunting is uh the wind was so consistent out there oh really not in missouri mm-hmm. missouri is complete opposite holy cow <laughs> missouri is a different ball game oh my god like the wind out there was just stupid it'll pick up and then it'll die and then it'll pick up and then it'll just stop and then it'll pick up again and then it'll die and you'll, yeah. you'll sit there and you'll have like a a one to two pretty cons- like that's what's consistent but then you also have this gust that hits 40 out yeah. of nowhere just yeah. like nowhere yeah. it just boom here it is yeah. and then it Drops right back down, and you're just like, okay. And then probably an hour and a half later, 40 again. You, yeah. You're up there rocking and tree surfing and whatnot. Yeah, it was tree surfing. Tree surfing. But I was, like, it, the wind would blow in a certain direction. I mean, you could count on it blowing in that direction for your entire hunt pretty That's much. That's how Michigan is. Yeah. Michigan's the same way. I think it has something to do with the ag ground. Yeah. I think those fields, there's, there's just nothing that impacts it. So it gets on one of those fields, and it just rides. Like the property that I hunt in Michigan, it's the only trees for two, three square miles. So it it gets on those fields and it just rides it. And and if you're on the side where the wind's coming from, so say you're on the west side of the property, you're getting rocked. But if you're on the eastern side of the property, you won't feel any wind at all because it hits that, that tree and just it does whatever it does so at that point. Yeah. Um, it's like if you're hunting around a lake. Same thing with a lake. If you're on a lake, dude, like some of the most consistent winds I've ever seen is like in and around a lake. Like that water, that air hits that water and it just, it just rocks and rolls and it's going one direction, one direction only. And there's nothing really diverting it. But second, mm-hmm. you get in the timber, then it gets all sketchy. And it really, if you think about it, this whole, the, uh, the vortex street. Okay. Just make sure. Vortex I, street. I, I, I had to swallow mean- some spit, you know, right there to make sure I could, you know, pronounce that correctly. Um, if you think about it, every tree is doing the same thing. Every tree that's out there, that is something that is abruptly, the air is hitting that and then having that effect around every single oh, tree. Oh, dude. Yeah. yeah, if you go watch that and then multiply it by 100, you know, like that, the little point of impact, basically, that it yep. has on there. And you just think of what that looks like if there's 100 of those. And see, where I've seen that happen is you'll be in a tree and say like, especially say like you get in a spot where maybe you're intentionally hunting like the windward side of a tree or like the downwind side of a tree. So like the wind's coming from your back, hitting you in the back, blowing around you. You drop some milkweed and that sucker wants to suck right back to you. Just mm. like that vortex. It happened yes. to me on Friday when I shot that buck. Like the wind was kind of being all kind of squirrely. I'm dropping milkweed and it is literally. It floats in front of your face for like 10 seconds. Well, it's trying to, it's going to try to come back and hit you. And then you're like, okay, crap, I'm going to blow it off to my left or right side. You blow it and then it goes like, whoo, and it's like, it sucks yeah. past you. But yep. if you blow it directly behind the tree, directly downwind, it comes right back to you. So anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, that happened to me. So the day that uh almost shot that big buck that i talked about on like the outro two weeks ago yep um that day it was it was like cold Mm -hmm. bluebird day high wind and i was out there in the middle of that cutover in a tree and it was like bomb proof i mean like the wind was perfect but also the with the thermals they're kind of working together and you drop milkweed and i mean it would like shoot up in the air at an angle going straight away from me i mean the sweet spot oh it was Perfect. You I'm found like, you found that sweet spot. The only with thing that could bust wind. me in that spot was a buzzard. Yeah. <laughs> you found the sweet spot with thermals and wind. Yeah, yeah, dude, I'm serious. It was perfect. It was, and then even in the evening though, the stove comes walking right by me, and she, uh, I mean, I, I thought for sure I was gonna get busted because I thought my thermals were gonna be falling down the little bottom that she kind of started working into, and uh, they just didn't. She she didn't bust me. And now looking back, I wonder. You know, with Tom talking about how your scent essentially just falls off of you when it, and there was like no wind or anything right there mm-hmm. at dark. It was just dead calm. I wonder if when it started going down the hill, there was like all these slash piles and stuff right there. I wonder if uh, it just was like hitting those slash piles and getting caught up and wasn't, it, it wasn't like climbing over them to get to her. You know, it couldn't get through that thick cover. And even though she's just on the other side of it, she couldn't smell me. Even though looking back, she should have smelled me, but she didn't. I think that's a good point because I, I had a doe earlier this year. She came in, and the wind was good for me where she came from, but the second that she got, she was probably seven yards like straight underneath me. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, when I was in the, when she was in the timber, it was fine. The second she hit open ground in the same, I was on the edge of a, a little, like a little strip plot, and the tree was here, and then there was timber. The second she hit the field, toast. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she knew right where it was. But like where I was at, 
the wind didn't change from the timber to the field. It was just dropping straight down, and it wasn't in the timber. She didn't have a problem. The second that she hit the field, toast. And her yearling that was with her didn't have a clue, and she was still in the timber. So the the mature doe was in the field, yearling in the timber. Neither the doe in the timber had no clue. The one in the field pinned me straight off. No no question about it. Hmm. Well, I'm sure you've talked to Michael Yates several times. Um, he always says that the wind comes over those pines, <clears throat> and as soon as it gets to the field, it creates that low pressure, and so it'll come over and it'll wrap right on the field edge, um, depending on when the wind, where the wind is coming from, you know? Yeah. Um, so just mm-hmm. as soon as it comes over, it has that elevation difference and automatically starts rolling right there. I can see that. Yeah. I think that's what we're talking about with the vortex, though, too, as well. It's hitting that. The wind hits that barrier, and right. it, it drops, or it has something in its way, so it has to figure out what it's going to do. Yeah, if you look at that video, that's exactly what it's doing. It's just turned on its side. So it's hitting that obstruction, and it's going to either side of it and then curling back around to it. Right. Mm. So if you, Just like an airplane wing. If you, mm. So if Michael was standing 10 yards in front of me and dropped a piece of milkweed with the wind coming directly at me, that milkweed would, like, theoretically, it would get right to me, and then shoot off to one side of me, and then loop around and hit me in the back. Mm-hmm. He's talked about a whole bunch of stuff related to uh, barometric pressure, too, I think, isn't it? Or high and low pressure areas. Um, you, you talk, you're talking about yeah, Michael Yates? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I need to, need to talk to him and uh, some more, because he's got a lot of interesting stuff to that, say. That and also how following thermals, was it clockwise or counterclockwise, like fall down that he talked about? No, yeah. not to try to get too much in the weeds on this episode. Yeah. It's, it's it'd pretty, be something we need to talk to him about. It's like another level of what, what we're even coming close to discussing. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it just rotating, I guess, in yeah. a, a certain way. Um, so I'm glad you brought up the trail camera strap. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, when Andrew said that, I was like, Michael's going to be happy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm happy y'all brought up the, uh, the, uh, dispersion between the elevation and the ground because we we recorded in one of the outros uh about the spray can example being up in a tree and i said you might could essentially get up high enough into uh into one of these you know trees and and basically not have uh you know an issue because of you know it it being broadcast so far out Mm -hmm. that their the scent is not as strong just because of the dissipation. So I'm glad you brought that up. And there was one other thing um, that I'm glad, glad y'all brought up. I uh, think on your, your height thing, I think a lot of times you can get high enough that your scent just, it just blows over the top of whatever you're in. It doesn't matter. I, it, I know there's like the, the well, let's get 20 feet because it's out of the peripheral vision. But right. I think if you can get high enough, you can eventually get out of the scent cone and your scent just carries over the top of everything, and it doesn't matter yeah. at that point. And one thing I've noticed is, and it probably has to do with, you know, he talked about the degrees of uh, of elevation change mm-hmm. or, or the angle. Um, I noticed that you can get right on a trail and not be very high up off the ground, um, and that deer come by and not catch your you know scent. But as soon as it gets out like 10 yards or so, Bam, just instantly picks you up. Now, are you talking about if they're downhill from you, uphill? I'm talking about if you were on the same elevation as mm-hmm. them. Uh, if if that trail comes right by your tree, it's like the closer you are to that trail, mm-hmm. you know, just just like you were saying, it, it yeah. basically goes over them. But I think if, we're talking the same thing on that. The the way that it the vortex works with, with the cone, mm-hmm. if you're once you get to a certain point, it spreads out so far. So, like, like you say, right. if you're right on top of the trail, you're so close to the trail that there's no what your scent's carrying. Right. It, it it hasn't had time to spread right. before that trail. Exactly. As long as, long as you're not looking the tree like Andrew does when he's climbing <laughs> up it. So, yeah. <laughs> licking the tree. There, yeah, man. You got to taste it. Okay, you got to make sure it's a good tree. Yeah, though. This, this, this this tree's a killer tree. A I can pine. taste it. Love me a good pine. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you can keep that turpentine. I'm looking the pine. Have you ever had like that's that right. pine needle tea before? No, that's why I was hoping you were going to get with it because he's looking the trees. Like, let's try some pine needle t- tea real quick. Hey, it's, it, t- it tastes terrible, but it'll make you feel really good. I promise it does. Hey, I, I do like how he he said like the rubber versus like the leather mm-hmm. boots yep. because I think a lot of people sacrifice that is, that, comfort and everything 
That is the biggest myth. And I knew it was a myth. That's yeah. why I wanted to get to it. Right. Of like rubber boots, like you just, you're sent free walking in with rubber boots. I'm like, you're still making ground disturbance. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, if the, if, the, if your human scent is like shedding off you through breath and, and you know, skin cells and all that stuff, only is lasting about 10 minutes because the bacteria is hitting it. It's, it's just taking it, it's changing it over a certain period of time with the bacteria. Then, Forget the rubber boots, dude. That's why your feet, in a lot of cases, are cold because you're freaking sweating walking. Especially if you do have, you know, fairly sweaty feet. And if you switch the rubber boot or switch to the, the leather boots, you know, like an uninsulated, you know, structured boot, you have a lot warmer feet, dude. For number one, but also like it's something not to worry about because ground disturbance is ground disturbance. So, unless you're hovering to the spot and you have a zip line to your tree, which I'm not against that. All right, <laughs> yeah. In a couple spots, <laughs> it's like let's take a zip line across this drainage, and then uh, you can get right to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> then we'd be we'd be cooking with some grease. Get that saddle, like, hey, listen now, y'all probably didn't realize your, you your saddle turns to a nice harness when you're ziplining. <laughs> right. Those saddles can be used for a lot more than people realize. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I saw one guy on one of the page. I think it was on the Run Gun page. Uh, guy made a post about uh, you know he was uh, redoing his roof or whatever, and he was using his saddle uh, to keep him like like secured up on the on the uh, on the roof with a, like a fall line on the backside of the roof itself. I was like, man, listen now, get multi multi use on that piece of equipment. So. It's no different than the people that use something to repel. It's the oh, same. Yeah. I mean, it is the same exact thing. So you can do a lot of stuff. Yep. In terms of climbing and, and everything else, you can do a lot with the saddle. People don't realize it. And even if you want to hunt in the lock-on, they make it. the saddle makes it that much better. I guess something I want. I almost I kind of want to talk about now, but I kind of want to talk about on, the, on Monday's episode. Where, so. What is it? This, uh, like, how I'm... I'm I'm really hating uh, full body full body safety harnesses out of tree stands, and I really want to get to using like a uh, rock climbing harness. Why don't you use your saddle? Yeah, well, well, number one, when you're using the bridge, there's nothing keeping that tethered point directly in front of you, so you can slip left or right on that bridge, no matter how tight you get it. So that's one negative aspect. If it wasn't for that, if you had a bridge, I need to talk to old Chad at Cruiser about coming developing this. If you had a bridge where you could swap out or whatever, or just it had an attachment point on there for like a center attachment point where you could tighten the bridge down on the amstel all the way down you had a center attachment that you can carabine clip into instead of being on the actual bridge to keep it from slipping if you tighten your bridge all the way up and this is getting probably too complicated andrew's looking at me like what if you go get your saddle right now you cinch that bridge all the way up you still have like six eight inches of bridge and your carabine is on there if you fall you could shift four or five inches left or right and that's the difference of like you potentially looking sideways slapping your head up against the tree instead of being centered attached like a rock climbing harness rock climbing harness has a center attachment point right below your belly button okay i don't i don't know you could, no i mean you could you could i see what you're talking about i don't i don't think that it, i don't think it's that dangerous i'm not saying i'm not saying it's that dangerous but it's not i don't think it's as safe as actually having that center attachment point where you're not slipping I've been in, I've tried at the house of cinching it all the way up and then, okay, like what happens if I lean left and seen what happens and it's not fun. No reason I don't want to use a saddle, a safety harness. The saddle as a safety harness and you're sitting in a tree stand, I don't like it. I don't care. I don't care what someone says. If I wear it, I just feel like it's still bulk, a little bit more. If I'm sitting down on the saddle in a tree stand, not super comfortable. Okay. First, like a rock climbing harness, which has like, doesn't have all the mesh on there or whatever else it's. It, you don't have it, okay? That's one thing I like about the whole idea of that. But anyways, where I'm getting at this is I'm in the sand, and the, the morning when I shot that buck, which we're going to get into a little bit later, I'm facing the tree because I, I kept hearing stuff back behind me, downwind of me, like up on the ridge. And uh, I had a little buck come by not too long after. I'm facing that way, and all of a sudden I hear running, and they're coming from my right. Well, I had my tether on my safety harness and everything hung up pretty high, but it was in a position where, like, I couldn't just – I could have spin, spun towards them, but I didn't. I tried to spin around it, like mm-hmm. spin away from them and come around to my strong side and shoot uh, in, in the tree stand. And I'm like, with that freaking the uh, um, rock climbing horse, could have just spun towards them, sat down, and been able to shot, shoot like a lot quicker. Uh, but anyways, this is you know, beside the point. I know, right, boys. We, we got to get this grill going. We got to cook some stuff. Oh, hold on. So I, said we, I said we wrap this joke Okay. Up. All right. All right. You got anything else? Anything? Nah. We got, we, no reviews, nothing like no, that. No, we're going to read the reviews on, on the main, Monday. Uh, yeah, on the main episode. So right now we're stopping this recording so we can uh, cook some food and then do the, the year ender uh, with it's, a couple it's, other guys. It's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a good JT's going to be back time. on. We're about to record in about 10 minutes. All right. All right, boys. Um, appreciate everybody listening. Make sure you tune in Monday. 
buy some merchandise. We appreciate all the support and getting all the merch out and everything. If you're listening to this on Jake Wednesday. Jake's in charge of shipping it now, yeah. so it'll go out a lot quicker. Than yeah, so, so you can just scream at me if we have issues um, because it's directly my fault now, if that's the case. <laughs> uh, but anyways, you're going to get all the orders out on Wednesday, all the new orders. And uh, as Mike says, every single the weekend. This drops. Yep, every single weekend. Y'all stay Southern. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.